Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning um, on this first Sunday of Advent. Just glad that we get to spend this time together. Um, so it's, it's exciting. So we talked about last week that this is our new year for the church calendar. So yay, happy new year. Uh, <laughs> we just did Thanksgiving, so I know we're a little confused. Um, but it is. We start our calendar year today um, to say it's a time of new beginnings. And I, and I just was thinking about that this week of just there are a lot of new beginnings around us that are happening um, that we can look forward to. And even in the midst of um, kind of a, a season of more, like not as much light, you know, uh, things are just darker, uh, our days are shorter, and yet we can have hope about new beginnings. Um, and so I, I just want to put that before us to say that this is the time when we remember um, Christ's first coming in the incarnation, and we look forward to his second coming to renew and restore all things. But we also look to this current moment to say, Lord, how are you coming to us right now? We believe that you are, and we want to be have our eyes open to see you and experience what you have for us during this season. And so that is the gift of this time of the church calendar, and that, like we ta- I've talked about several times this morning, is um, this invitation to slow down and to wait for Christ. Even though the culture around us is speeding up right now. And so I think we can feel um, a little bit of dissonance with our culture. And maybe even like a pull in different directions. In the sense that like our culture's like, it's time to go. Like we got to move, we got to move. In like this sense of we just got to hold on um, and make it to Christmas. And yet, at the same time, the church is telling us, let's slow down and wait. And we're kind of stuck in the midst of that, right? And trying to figure out, how, how do we actually do that? And I'm just so thankful that we've done that this morning, that we've taken moments to, to just kind of wait and, um, and be patient and invite Jesus to come to us. And so if there's, I think there's an invitation for us in that. And I would invite you in that, um, into that with me. Uh, for this season, to say, can we find like 10 or 15 minutes on, in our calendar each day to just sit and wait for the Lord? And that could be like, you know, in the morning over your coffee. That could be it during your lunch break. That could be when your kids are taking a nap. It could be before bedtime. It could be any time of the day that works best for you. But would you be willing to carve out about 10 or 15 minutes a day to sit in a quiet space, take some deep breaths, and just say, come Lord Jesus. And there may not be anything magical that happens. It may just be quiet. Um, but I think it's important that we make that space um, for the Lord to, to choose to be with him and to just choose to take a breath in the midst of this busy season that we're entering into because we don't want to miss what the Lord is doing in this moment. Now, if you are like me, I am usually at the beginning of liturgical seasons, I'm like, oh, yes, this is going to be great, and I'm going to do so well at this, and I get a couple of days into it, and I have failed miserably. And so, again, I would invite all of us to, to start again. If we miss a day or two, to not feel defeated, but instead be like, all right, I'm going to try it again today and trust that the Lord um, is patient with me. So, um, so that's what I would invite us into in this space of Advent, 
and just um, look forward to doing these practices maybe together um, on Sunday mornings and then carry them into the week and practice them together. So as you feel led, I would invite you into that space. Okay, we are going into Isaiah. Um, I mentioned this last week that with Advent, we're going to be talking about Isaiah on Sundays. And then um, we have a two-night class in December on the 6th and the 13th where we will dive more deeply into the themes of Isaiah. Um, And so we're starting that today. Um, But before we get into the text, I want to give a bit of an overview uh, of the book itself. So the book of Isaiah walks through um, the period of of Israel's history that is like before and during and after the exile. So where are we in the story of God? So um, just to give you a quick overview, um, my Old Testament professor Sandy Richter used to say, the overarching narrative of scripture is getting the people of God into the place of God so that they can experience the presence of God. So let's say that again. The people of getting the people of God into the place of God so that they can experience the presence of God. So as you look throughout the narrative of scripture, this is what's happening. Um, and so we know that in the beginning, people were in the presence of God, in the place of God in the Garden of Eden. But because of sin and brokenness, they were, had to leave Eden And so then we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament is God saying, how do I get you back? I'm bringing you back into a place where you can be in my presence. And so that starts with the people of Israel. And so Israel, um, as a people, end up in Egypt in slavery. And the Lord releases them. He brings them out of the, through the Exodus and takes them into their own land. Why? So they have a place where they can experience the presence of God through God tabernacling with them in that space. Um, And so when we get to the point of Isaiah, oh wait, so before we get there. So but as they're going into the land, um, God says, here's how we're going to live together. Here's how you're going to live with me, and here's how you're going to live with each other. And he gave them the law. He gave them Torah so that they would know how, how they are meant to be as a people, what it looks like for them to follow God and for them to live with each other. And what God says to them in Deuteronomy as they're going through the law again, like they're about to enter into the land, and he's like, okay, he gave them the law in in Exodus, and then it reminds them of it again in Deuteronomy as they're going into this land that he has promised them. He says, here is the law. Here's how we live together. Here's what it looks like for you to live with me and to live with each other. And also, by the way, as long as you follow the law, you get to stay in the land. If you don't follow the law, you're going to lose the land can't stay in the land if you're not living according to the ways that I've laid out. So when we get to the book of Isaiah, what's happening is basically the prophets coming to the people of of Israel and saying, you're not living up to your part of the the deal. You're not living up to the covenant. You are not um, living the way that you're supposed to with God or with each other. And the way that that's playing out is they're not worshiping Yahweh alone. There are other gods that they're worshiping. And so they're not um, ke- like keeping that relationship right with God. And they're not taking care of each other, especially the most marginalized. And what we see over and over again in Isaiah is um, him telling the people that not only are you not taking care of the widows and the orphans because they are the most marginalized of this society, but you're also taking advantage of them. And God says that is not okay. That's not how you're meant to be as my people. 
And so what we see when we get to this part of Isaiah is these warnings that are coming from Isaiah to say, um, reminding them of the law, reminding them of the covenant that they've made with God to say, here's how we live together. Here's how it looks like to be my people. And that if you don't um, heed the warnings and repent, you're going ha- gonna to lose the land. And so, um, so the prophet stands at the... So this has already happened to the 10 northern tribes of Israel. They've already lost their land. Um, Assyria came in and, in the 700s and took them out. And so this, the Isaiah the prophet is coming to the, the two tribes that are left, the southern tribes, and saying, it's, take heed, see what happened in the north. This is going to happen to you as well. So what the prophet would do is, is that he would stand outside of the temple, probably, and give these like mini sermons, like calling people to repentance. And so when we get to the book of Isaiah, what we see are kind of these compilations of these, um, these mini sermons, so to speak, these oracles that are spoken by the prophet. And the book ends up being divided into three parts. So like I was saying, it's like the before exile, the during exile, the prophet comes again and speaks to the people while they're in exile, and then after the exile is over. So what's going to be interesting is all, all the Sundays of Advent, we're in that first section where it's like before the exile has ever happened. And the, the uh, prophet is coming to the people and saying, like, heed the warnings. You still have time to repent and turn, and turn around um, and respond differently. All right, so our passage for today is in chapter 2. But what is interesting is that chapter 1, like, is all that, like I said, is all this sense of warning. Um, Then we have these five verses we're going to look at today. And then the rest of the chapter is also warnings. But these five verses in the midst of it are are having them look ahead and to say, what does the future look like? What does a redeemed people look like? Um, And what does the future house of God look like? And I don't know about you, but like it kind of, it messes with my brain. Like I you know, the way I want to order things, it seems like it would make more sense for it to be like warning, 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 and then later, um, you know, promise, 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 or restoration, 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 right? But what we see um, in the book of Isaiah is that it's all mixed up, and that messes with my brain. I don't know about you, but I think there's something that we can take from that. Why? Why would Isaiah not just give them all the warnings and then turn around and, and talk about restoration, later, but instead mix it up to say, here's a warning, here's a warning, here's a warning. Oh, wait, and this is what it's supposed to look like. Okay, warning, 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 again. And I think why is because um, it it gives them hope and shows them something different, a different picture. Um, that, That even when darkness and sin is rampant, hello, I think we can relate to that, the Lord has a vision for restoration, The Lord hasn't given up yet. That when things um, look dark, there is still the promise that the light is coming and that God has not said the final word yet. And so he gives us a picture of what the light coming actually looks like. Not so that we can like Pollyanna the current situation away, like pretend that the darkness really isn't there. But instead that we can be real about the darkness that we sit in while also waiting and hoping and having a vision of what the light looks like and knowing that the darkness is not the end of the story. 
Because to truly be people who live in the light, we really need to know, have a vision of what it looks like, of what it means. Um, I think even when, or maybe especially when, we're sitting in darkness. So that's the context of Isaiah um, as we come into the text. And so now we're going to look specifically um, at Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read those together. So the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall, lift up, shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, when we come to, to a text, um, what I really enjoy doing, we're going to kind of go through some of the, the text again, is to just ask two simple questions. What is the text telling us about God? And what is it telling us about us as humans? And so anytime you, like, in, encounter a text, like, you can just ask those two simple questions, and it, um, it really helps to break it down. And so what I want us to do is, like, to go through the text again with those two questions in mind. Because what I want us to do is to really get a vision um, of what Isaiah is saying here. I mean, it's really a beautiful text that we need to, like, not necessarily put more words around, but just to, to, like, get a clear vision of, like, what it is that God has put before them and put before us. So let's go back, um, if we can, to the, to the beginning of the text. Are we able to do that? Is anybody over there? Sorry. <laughs> um, if we can go back to the first part of the text, if possible. I know, I'm sorry. I'm, um, I'm throwing you a curveball. Okay, here we go. Thank you. All right, so if we ask the question, what is the text telling us about God? The first thing that we see that it's saying, in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. Now, at this particular time, there's the, the thought process, the worldview is that there are many gods and they all, they do inhabit mountains, like they're in the high places. And so what this is saying here is that the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain. He is the one who rules above everyone, above all, all creation, and also above any other gods that there might be um, in that particular worldview. But, but Israel knows there's one God, and he's on the highest mountain. Even though the mountain of Jerusalem is not the highest mountain, even like in that particular geographic region. But the reality is, is that in, um, in the vision of God, in the future of God, he is ru ruling and reigning. Then it goes on to say, uh, if we can go to the next slide. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, this is an interesting picture of God as instructor, God teaching the people, almost like he's a professor, (laughs) so to speak, to say, hey, like, here's what it looks like to be my people. Now, I just, I I want you to sit for a minute and think about what are all the images of God that you have in your mind? Is teacher one of those? Instructor, is that one of the the images that you think of when you think about God? What does it look like for God to, to sit enthroned and be ruling and reigning and yet also teaching his people? To say, I haven't left you in darkness to figure this out on your own. But instead, I want to teach you and show you what it means to be my people. And not so much just even teach you like in abstract kind of ways. But instead like, and not in this text, but we know if we go on in the story that he literally says, I'm just going to put on flesh and blood and I'm going to come and I'm going to live among you. And, and instruct you in that kind of way. Not in an abstract even kind of way, but in a way to say, I, t- I get where you are. I get what what it means to be a person, a human, and I'm going to show you what it looks like to be my people in flesh and blood. One of the there's a, a verse in, in James where it says like if, if you whenever you lack wisdom, ask the Lord and He gives it abundantly and graciously. He gives us wisdom as we need it, and I think that's kind of what this is getting to, of this sense of this idea of instruction going forth. The other thing it tells us about God is um, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. So this idea of God as arbitrator or peacekeeper even, that his way is the way of peace and bringing forth the best of humans, that he makes us um, creators, producers, and generative of living things. This idea that he like sits between nations and and shows them how to get along. (laughs) Okay, here again, not our experience, right? (laughs) Like what what does it look like for God to be an arbitrator, a peacekeeper, a peacemaker between, between nations? If that is what we're moving toward, What does that say to us about who our God is? And here again, I think we were able able to see it in the life of Jesus. That as he comes and he lives among us, is he not doing that similar thing? Arbitrating, peacemaking, showing people how to live together rightly. To say it's important that you take care of those who are on the outside, on the margins. To bring them into the fold, to invite them to the table. That's important. Like that, these sense of like trying to gain power over one another and figure out who's in charge and who gets to, to rule over each other. Like that was never about Jesus's agenda, right? It was about who can we invite to the table? Who gets to sit at the table and eat together and, and live together and be together? So this is the picture that the text gives us about God. So what does it tell us about ourselves? So this idea of like humans in our redeemed state, in, our, in, a, in a state of being um, at one with God, living as we're meant to live with him and with each other. What does it look like? So let's go back to the first slide if we can. 
So we'll see here. Many people shall, shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And a few uh, verses before, all the nations shall stream to it. So here's the vision. is like God is high and lifted up, and the nations are streaming to him. And they're saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. So this idea of us um, coming to the Lord, and not just Israel, but all of the nations coming. This idea of welcome, as I was just saying. That the nations do not come to Jerusalem for power or for some kind of mystical union with the divine, but in order to learn how the creator intends for his creations to live. Um, All right, go to the next slide that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. And so this idea of, like, like, again, learning this way of living with God, of what it means to be the people of God, um, and living this sense of peace that he has given to us. Now, this last verse is just a really interesting verse, I think. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now, what in the world does that mean? So, obviously, swords and spears are instruments of war, right? Plowshares and pruning hooks are gardening tools. <laughs> so, this idea of taking these tools of war, these, to- these uh, means of destruction by which we fight against one another and kill and destroy one another, beating those down into gardening tools, things that are generative that are creative, that are productive, rather than destructive. Wow. I don't know about you. There's a lot of destruction happening in our world right now as we look around. We look at Ukraine. We look at Iran. We look at even in our own culture and all the mass shootings that have been happening. And our tendency, our brokenness, and our sin is to destroy one another. But what we see what happens is when the nations stream to the mountain of the Lord and his instruction goes forth and said, this is not how I created you to live, that their response to the word of the Lord is to break down the tools of war and the tools of destruction And to be creative and make them into gardening tools. To go back to what we were originally created to do, which was living in a garden in the the presence of God and being productive and creative and generative people in the redeemed kind of way rather than fighting against one another, we get to live in peace. As I thought about this passage This week, what's come to mind is kind of this contrast to the Tower of Babel. I don't know if you remember the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. But the people all gathering together and saying, let's let's make ourselves great. We're going to build a tower that goes all the way up to the heavens. And so that would seem productive, right? Like people getting together and being productive, and yet the heart behind it was wrong in the sense that it was about us making ourselves great. And what happens is, is that God ends up scattering the people. But what I think we see happening in this text is the exact opposite. So instead of the people being scattered, 
Instead, they're being gathered back to the mountain of God in the right kind of way, in a way that is um, in accordance with how God has created them to be, under his rule and reign, to be creative and generative people in a redeemed kind of way. And so what we see happening in this text is, again, returning to the people of God in the place of God, experiencing the presence of God. So why is this an Advent text? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, that's another question I've kind of been sitting with this week. So for the first Sunday of Advent, um, our t- our, when we light the first candle, this is the candle of hope. And that's why we... This is an Advent text because it's one that we can look forward to with hope. So I was listening to the radio the other day. We were coming home from um, a Thanksgiving meal, and I was in the car with my girls, and we had the radio on, and, you know, it's the time of year when the Christmas songs are all happening. Um, And so we're driving, and and it's dark, and so people's Christmas lights are are lit. And as we're driving, I'm thinking, um, I'm listening to the songs and seeing the Christmas lights, and all of a sudden that wave of nostalgia rushes over you. Um, And I just was sitting in that because I was like, what is that? Because that sense of nostalgia, like there's there's a happiness in it or a, a contentment in it, and then there's like this kind of melancholiness to it. And I was just like, what, what is that feeling? Like, why, why does it feel that way? And as I sat with it, I was like, I think what it is is it's a sense of longing. Longing for what used to be or what our memories are maybe of this season or for what never even was. I mean, honestly, why do I feel nostalgic about I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? Because I have lived in Georgia the majority of my life. And I can remember twice that it snowed, and even then it was a dusting. But we hear that song, and all of a sudden we feel this sense of nostalgia, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, um, just like the ones I used to know. No. Um, but, like, think about the images that come around Christmas, right? It's, it's cold. It's snowy. It's, um, it's quiet. It's calm. We're sitting around the fire drinking hot chocolate and Obviously, they're roasted chestnuts or something. I don't know. Um, Is that what your Christmas is like? Or is there a longing within us for something? And I wonder if, if what it is is that it's not about Christmas that we're dreaming about. It's that we're longing for home, our true home. Because the reality is, I mean, if it snows on Christmas, I will be so happy. Um, But that will be fleeting. And I think, like, we get to this time of of the year, and it's like we're hoping that we kind of catch in a bottle those feelings for, like, just a moment, and yet we know that they're also fleeting. Because it's really home that we're longing for. It's, It's this picture in Isaiah. That's what we're really longing for. And that's home, and that's not going away. That lasts forever. And so I wonder about in these quiet moments that we spend with the Lord in this season, like I'm inviting us to do, what if we brought those longings that we feel to Jesus? And not to judge them, say they're right or wrong, but just be like, here's what I long for. I really long for home. (laughs) I really long for your presence. I really long for, like, peace. That we would 
no longer be destructive, but that we would be creative, generative people. What if we just brought those things? And maybe it's, I just really long for quiet, you know, um, and, and just a sense of um, stillness. I wonder if we just brought those things to the Lord and just see what he wants to do with them. And in their place, we ask God to continue to just continue to give us pictures of our true home. The one that we're truly longing for. Pictures like this one. Maybe we go back to Isaiah and say, here's what I'm longing for, God. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would be near to us in this time. That you just help us to be true and honest people with you and with ourselves. To know that this, this season um, holds a lot of promise and a lot of hope. And yet we're still broken people and we need you. Would you come, Jesus, and give us pictures of, of home, of who we're meant to be as your people? May you instruct our hearts of what it looks like to live in the light of the Lord. And may we be faithful to you, Jesus, we pray.